And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion on the topic of educating at-risk youth. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. At this time, I'm very happy to introduce my second guest for this discussion. Susan Kornblatt-Strum is author of Born Angry and a high school teacher of mostly 11th and 12th grade students at a high school in Lancaster, California, which is in L.A. County. She is a native New Yorker who, who has been working in the mental health field nearly 25 years. Her second book, Born Angry 2, that's T-O-O, is currently in progress. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, I greatly appreciate you being here because I, I understand you just finished clearing your classroom. Yes, I did. I just finished clearing it, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for the quietness. Well, that's good. Well, I hope I hope some of your your colleagues and your and your students can listen in or or listen in at a later date because we do make it available. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll have to pass that word. I did post it in Facebook that I was going to be doing this, and um, I posted the phone number for people to call in as well in Facebook. So everybody's got a shot. <laughs> that's that, that's great. I appreciate you doing that. How did you get involved in the mental health field? You know. This happened to me back in the late 80s. Um, I know you can't tell by the phone, but I'm older than I sound. And uh, I really was working in mainstream America, as I called, even though I had a, um, I'm sorry, I had a bachelor's degree in health and phys ed from Temple University, and I was halfway towards a master's, but I was fighting all the guys that were trying to avoid Vietnam, and I don't blame them for that, and they all went into P.E., and I tried in five states to find a job, and I couldn't. Wow. And I got very frustrated, and one day I was watching a talk show, and I saw five panels, five people on a panel that were supposedly experts. And I listened very carefully, and I said, I know as much as they do. I could have answered all those questions, and I don't have the degree that they have, so I'm going to go back to school. And I went back, and I got cert- certificated uh, mostly I got it in addictions, but I spread it out later to the mental health field itself. And the way the brain works, the people's thoughts behind all their actions fascinates me. And mm. so by 1991, I was certified and ready to go in the field. Okay. And did you, la- did you land a-, a job in the mental health field more easily or more readily than yes. trying to land a teaching job? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I did. Um, it, it came almost immediately. I started working as what they call a um, therapist aide, and uh, I started working in a residential facility for addictions, and I found that um, even though at that time addictions and mental health saw themselves as two very far apart entities, I found that people were becoming addicted because they were trying to hide their mental health issues. They were hiding from their issues. And so I made sure I made sure that people knew that there was a reason behind the addiction. It wasn't just because people liked hiding. It wasn't because they liked getting high, although some people do. But after addiction takes place, they don't like it. But there was a mental health issue behind that. And that was the way I... 
I saw the addicts that I worked with, and that was the way I functioned. So when you start in the field of, of addictions especially, you start out as what they call the TA, and then it was shortly after that that I got to work in an addictions hospital, and I worked in the detox, and that was where I really saw the mental health um, issues that people were struggling with, and addiction resulted because of that. Okay. And at this time, I know you're a native New Yorker. At this time, were you still on the East Coast or were you already out West? I spent a majority of my life on the East Coast. Um, 14 years ago, almost 14 years ago, when I met and married my husband, I came to California. I've been here almost 14 years. I've taught in the same school district almost 14 years. And I've been married almost 14 years in June. Okay, that's 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 the magic number. <laughs> yeah, fortunately so. for me in California, the whole the whole West Coast experience. But I did start my education in the state of Washington. Before okay. I went to Temple University, I started up in the state of Washington, so I was a little bit familiar with the uh, Pacific Coast. But um, it was not until I actually came to California that I got very familiar with it. Okay, and at what point did you? Uh, phase out of full-time mental health field to being a full-time teacher? Well, I was always a certificated teacher, and the last place that I worked was called the Children's Home of Reading. That's in Pennsylvania. And I was a therapist there, but, and, and our, our residents were, it was a residential facility, and our residents were adolescents. But I found myself going back to education because the, the kids that were um, there were greatly lacking in educational skills. So it hit me on a lot of different areas of trying to educate and get these students to be just good citizens. And mm-hmm. so education became key with, with academics as well as um, learning how to be civilized human beings. Okay. And so once I did that, I started seeing a lot of what our kids were lacking. Um, and I say our kids because, uh, you know, when you work with them, you become attached to them, you become fond of them, and you want to see them succeed. And so I saw a lot of what they were lacking. And I went back to, to the school district just because I figured with my vast background, because I spent two years in, well, actually three years in mental health before I went back to education, and I saw it all, and I thought with this kind of background... I really could probably help our kids. And I went back to the school district where I actually graduated high school from, and when the uh, man who was in charge of the special education program for that district, I had no idea who he was. I was just told to take my resume to him. He was standing right at the information desk when I went in to ask to see him. And like I said, I didn't know who he was or what he looked like, so I didn't realize he was standing right there. He grabbed my resume and he said, oh, my God, you could, I could get you started right now in my alternative ed program. And I was like, oh, wow, that was the mm. fastest interview I'd ever had in my life. Yeah, there, there are no coincidences. I went to work, uh, I think it was a month later, and I really started more behavior modification than anything else because I am a big behaviorist. But, again, I was intrigued by what the thinking processes were behind the behavior. So I've just been touching all facets 
of the human being in the educational program working in special education. I've been doing this now in California 14 years, but I've been doing this for 16 years now, and I love what I do. Okay, that's great. And once you love what you do, that means you never work. That's right. So uh, why, did, why did you write the book Born Angry? I need it for people to understand two things. Because I work with the emotionally disturbed, I needed people to understand that that doesn't mean crazy, it doesn't mean stupid. And people do have this stigma of special education meaning stupid, and they're not. With ED kids, emotionally disturbed kids, students, people, because when I worked with addicts that were in residential and addicts that are adults, they were ED too. And they all just have behavioral issues because they don't want to deal with the real underlying issue. And so I just needed people to understand that they're all human. They just have some issues. You know, dyslexia is one issue. ADD is another issue. But there's underlying stuff. And people need to understand they're human beings just like all the rest of us. And I just needed for people to appreciate and not fear working with ED people in general because they're everywhere. We don't always know they're everywhere because some of them are medicated and they blend in nicely. But they are everywhere. But they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. And in fact, if 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 we believe in all of the statistics, uh, the percentage of uh, I don't want to use incarcerated, but I'll use incarcerated. There's a there is a higher percentage of high IQ individuals incarcerated than not. Yeah. And it turns out that, and we're finding out more and more that often the emotionally disturbed behavior is is an indication of, or a, uh, or actually masks or covers their high intellectual capacity. That's right. That's right. A lot of these people were picked on as youngsters, and it really, really had a major effect on them. And they try to hide that. You know, some people they were calling them nerds. Um, they, they just, they were, I, they were, yeah, picked on. I can't think of the word I want to use. I'm sorry, <laughs> but they were ostracized. There it is because of their intelligence and they never got over it. Or, you know, they had an issue with maybe dyslexia and they were made fun of with that. And so they chose to hide everything. They chose mm. to just keep it to themselves so that they wouldn't be in the forefront. They didn't want all that negative attention. Some people don't want to show that they are sensitive, and mm -hmm. they are. I mean, we all have feelings. Some people like to hide them, and so the IQ doesn't surprise me. But a lot of the people that are incarcerated majored in survival, and Absolutely. that's what is foremost for them. Mm -hmm. Now, you you touched on an interesting uh, an interesting fact or, or something that's triggered a, a memory for me. I remember in the seventies and eighties that it was, you got picked on if you were held back in school, if you were placed, they didn't have too much in, in the way of special education classes, at least not in my area of Queens, New York, unless right. you were extreme. So actually it was cool to be smart. It was cool to be one of the kids in, in the, uh, the upper grades. I I observed a 180-degree turn in that by the mid-'90s. In fact, it became uncool to 
to be intelligent or to be uh, looked upon as a nerd. So you had some kids do exactly what you said is just kind of, well, I don't want to get picked on, so I'm just going to act ignorant like some of the other kids, you know? That's right. That's right. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bullies among us, and they have bullied, they've been bullied themselves, but they do everything they can to get the attention and the focus off of them. So they pick on others around them that they find are weaker than them, or maybe they think they're smarter than, or whatever the thing is. You know, maybe they have a little bit more materialism than them, and they believe they have the right to target those people just to get the focus off themselves. So it has come out a lot since the 90s, and there's there's a lot of things out there that support them doing this, because when you pick on somebody that's around you, and you've got three or four of your buddies right there who think it's funny, and they laugh... Now you've got that center stage. Now it's entertainment. And it's yeah. sad because it's at the expense of somebody else's hurt feelings. And we don't know what that hurt person, how they're going to respond, what they're going to do. Well, we unfortunately, that. that's true. And unfortunately, we're seeing it uh, uh, manifest itself in too many schools with, with major uh, uh, incidents. That's but right. at, this, at this time, we're going to take a short break. But stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Susan Strum. Hi. Susan, give us a synopsis of your book. Um, My book actually started out because a couple years ago I I got a little upset about something and I started talking about retiring, and one of the school psychologists said, no, you can't do that before you write a book. You can't take all that knowledge away with you. So he was one of my collaborators, and the book really was designed, as I started to say earlier, to, not, to, to make people aware of the fact that they should not be afraid of ED. If you're going to get into the teaching field and you're thinking about special education, start to think about it. Um, with ED because ED kids are some of the smartest kids on any campus. They're some of the smartest. They just need a little bit of polish, as I like to call it. They, they've got some behavioral issues, and that's not such a difficult thing to remedy. And so my book started out as a how-to book, how I run my classroom, how I work with administrators, how I work the level system that I created in not only my classroom, but in the district itself, I helped to, and um, the students, how I do all of that, how we set up everything for the classroom in order to have good classroom management and um, good results, the kids learning, and um, no problems because they go out into the field. And when I say out into the field, um, I run a job skills class now, too, for 11th and 12th graders, and we actually do get them part-time jobs, and it's part of their grades in the school. So it is getting them into the community. I get them involved in volunteerism so that they give back to the community, but I'm getting a little carried away here. The whole thing is it started out as a how-to book, but then the um, major part of my book talks about some of the case histories 
of some of the people that I've worked with throughout my years, not just at the school level. So it's a how-to book, but it's also a, these are some of the human beings that have touched my life and my work career. And I just felt that people needed to know. People really need to know not only who I work with as far as the students go, but what it takes, because it's not easy. But if you love what you do, it gets easy. Now, the title, Born Angry, how did you come up with that title? It didn't take me long because a lot of our kids are born into anger. Many of the kids that we see are either born into poverty, born into addiction, born into things that no child should ever have to deal with, no child. Born into hunger, sometimes homelessness, sometimes foster care. I mean, it's, it's just sad, and they're angry. And a lot of the kids have to see a lot of dysfunction that really, really distresses them and disturbs them when they're very young. They don't understand it. They just know it doesn't feel right. And so they're angry. And they don't have a real, a really good, healthy platform to express that anger. They don't have that. And so in my classroom, a lot of times I do one-on-one so that they have that platform to get it out so that everybody can understand why they are the way they are. And so it was a real simple thing to come up with that title. So what strategies have you used to effectively reach emotionally disturbed youth? Like what, what some of the things that you share in your book that others listening or others who read the book will, will glean? The one thing that I do is I get to know my students very, very well on a one-to-one basis. I get to know the parents because without the parents' assistance, I can't do this job. I try really hard to understand the children, and well, I call them children, they resent that, but (laughs) I try really hard to understand and get to a a really good educationally therapeutic bond so that they understand that they're not in this alone, that we're in this together, and I make them really want to do what they need to do so that they can graduate high school and make themselves a successful future. And that's really what it's all about. It's all about giving respect even when you don't get it back. Having the patience and the tolerance to understand that these kids do need a lot of attention. A lot of them seek it, but they learn from that, that they are valuable. Their self-esteem builds, and they become very functional. And that's what it's all about. Patience, tolerance. Okay. Now, have you, is there an anecdote or a story that you share in the book that you would have, that you can share with us in a, in a minute or two? Oh boy. Um, wow. I had, <laughs> I don't know if this is in the book or not, but it should be. I had one student who try, he plotted my demise. He, because I'm very big on rules. They call me strict, but I'm not real strict. I'm just consistently trying to maintain a therapeutically educational environment. And this child did not like the rules. He didn't have it at home. And he planted my he planned my demise. He told one of the students in the classroom what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. And the student and I had a very good relationship. So he came and he told me. And when we busted the kid on it, with the school at that time that I was at was right next to a cemetery. He went into the cemetery, pulled flowers out of a grave, and brought them to me to apologize. <laughs> okay. 
And and he, are you still in touch with that youngster? Oh no, no. I I saw him. Oh, probably a couple years after that, and he still had the chip on his shoulder. But he did come and tell me that I was the best teacher he ever had, which really made me laugh because, like I said, he wanted me dead. <laughs> mm. Mm. So how have those involved in a mental health field who have read your book, how have they responded? They told me that writing those case histories gave those those people humanness, that they were really able to see them in a whole different light and that I really did bring to life all of the dynamics that those individuals possess. And that made me feel good because that was what I was trying to capture. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. You and I are, uh, we both published through uh, Friesen Press or Friesen right. Press. I don't know how to pronounce Friesen. it. Friesen. And in my book, I deal with labels and I deal with, uh, the title is Mugamore, and I deal with, um, uh, in the second half of the book, I deal with a child I, I named Taylor, uh-huh. and I and I use case studies. And in these case studies, you see what uh, Taylor is talking with a uh, a counselor or or a psychologist, and he's sharing what he's actually feeling and thinking, and that's kind of uh, in opposition to what his his father might be thinking. He's he's feeling and thinking. Is is that? Similar. I haven't had a chance to read through your whole book, but is that similar in the case studies that you share? Sometimes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And the picture that's on the cover of my book was actually one of my students at the last high school I worked at. My husband My husband is a fantastic artist, and he did all of the um, the he did the cover, and he did all of the pictures that I have inside the book. And he took this this picture of the girl and then he made it his own and people recognize her and when she sees that herself it really does bring up her self-esteem even more because people recognize that it's her even though it's not a true picture it's Mm -hmm. almost like a caricature but yeah um and i I hope she's doing well yeah she the last time i heard from her she was going to the local community college she had graduated high school and she was I think she told me she was getting into nursing, which is amazing. It's absolutely amazing because she was a real handful when I had her. And, uh, you know, people didn't think she was going – well, she had a lot of anger, a lot of anger. People didn't think that she was going to be successful at anything in the future. And um, she's showing them that they're wrong about her, and I'm proud of her. Good for her. Now, my first guest on, she's a, a kind of an expertise in, in the relationship model – in uh, addressing kids with this level of need and her feeling is that whatever the kids are expressing you can probably find a deficit at some part and point in their development uh, would you concur um yeah i think i'd have to go along with that there are a lot of holes in their development so yeah i would probably have to say i agree okay now, what will be different about your second book, Born Angry 2? Um, the second book I started because of two things. My book was published February 2013, and I had a senior group of students that really, really, uh, I guess I could just say that they loved me. They still do because I'm in touch with some of them. And they all wanted to be in, in the book. And I said, but I already wrote the book. <laughs> And they said, yeah, but you could write another one. And I thought, wow. And my cousin, 
My cousin Renee, who I love dearly, she's still in New York, upstate, of course. She was my first purchaser of my book. Um, and she said to me that the gentle way that I presented the case histories, she would want to see a lot more. So mm. giving that statement from my cousin and then all of my students that wanted to be in the book, I figured, you know what? Case histories. Let people see what we are dealing with in the classroom. Let some other people see what they have helped create because of whatever reasons these children have these dynamics. And mm -hmm. let's just get it from the start. So Born Angry 2, I have, okay, in the first book, all Actually, the stories that I wrote were from my memory. Yeah. Susan, I'm going to have to stop you there because we oh. have run out of time. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, that's well, okay. Let me say I, really quickly I, that this time, from soup to nuts, the kids gave me the facts. Great, great. We have been speaking with Susan Kornblit Strom, right. uh, author of Born Angry and the Future Born Angry 2, and a high school teacher of 11th and 12th grade students at a high school in Lancaster, California, which is in LA County. Sue, where can people find your book? Friesen Press. Go to FriesenPress.com. And uh, go into the education, click on education when it comes to uh, the bookstore end of it, and go find Born Angry. It's there. Yeah. Or you can just punch in Born Angry in a search, and it'll pop right up. Sue, oh, thanks so go. much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. Tune in next week as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors.